Hi everyone, this is Sherry Rice. Welcome to Access to Healthcare's weekly podcast, where we bring you local guests on a variety of topics for you and your family. Today we're going to talk about compassion fatigue. Now I know that's something that's been around for a while or talked about for a while because I heard about compassion fatigue probably three or four years ago and could relate to it in the sense of the work that we do at Access to Healthcare and the people that we take care of. But it seems like lately I've been reading more and more articles and hearing more and more people say that they have compassion fatigue. So I thought it would be really good if we did a podcast on compassion fatigue and sort of dissected what it is, uh, what are the symptoms, how do you know if you have it, and what does that mean to our overall health. And of course, I want to dissect that with my frequent guest, Nora Ann Brooklocker. Nora Ann Brooklocker is a local marriage and family therapist with Sierra Sunrise Wellness. Nora Ann, are you uh, ready to tackle compassion fatigue with us? I am definitely looking forward to this topic. I think it's a it's a very relevant and prevalent one. Well, and of course, you know, all roads lead back to COVID lately, um, or at least <laughs> seems like it does. And uh, we've been dealing with COVID for almost two years now. It's it's just amazing to say that, Noran. It's been almost two years, and we're exhausted. We're just absolutely exhausted. It doesn't. Really, I don't think matter your politics anymore, whether you, uh, how COVID has affected your life. I think we're just exhausted. And compassion fatigue is something that I think goes along with that exhaustion. Um, what do you think? What is the definition of compassion? Let's, let's get down to some basics. So the the definition of compassion is um, when these feelings that are elicited, whether it's sympathy or empathy, um, then elicit the desire to help. So Chopra describes it as the willingness to help relieve the suffering of another. Okay. What about, you said that sympathy and empathy are the feelings that go into compassion, but let's talk about those. What What is sympathy and what is empathy? So sympathy um, can be that you have an understanding, and that might be more so from the place of knowledge. So, for example, um, you might yourself not really know grief, but you know that this person who has just lost somebody is is feeling it, so you feel for them. Um, Empathy is taking that perspective and feeling the emotions of another person, feeling what they are feeling. Um, and one example of that would be like, let's say somebody slams their car, or excuse me, slams their fingers in a car door. Um, you might very well feel that tingle in your own f- fingers. You can really be like, ooh, ouch, that really, that, that had to have hurt. Um, you might not entirely uh, feel it uh, the same way as that person is feeling it, but with empathy, a lot of times, like, you can really take their perspective. So if we took it in that, the empathy into a little bit bigger picture, um, let's say that somebody was working for a nonprofit um, that dealt with, gosh, well, let's talk about uh, suicide, because we've talked about that many times, suicide prevention, that uh, was on a hotline for suicide prevention, and they could have empathy if they had had somebody in their family that had either threatened suicide or committed suicide. Is that sort of the empathy versus the sympathy? 
Um, I actually would put it more so as as the sympathy. So it does delve into the empathy part, but I would say the empathy would come in more so where that person knows uh, those same feelings. Like I know what it is to not want to be here uh, versus I know somebody who made this decision. Got it, got it. So the empathy would be, uh, I had a time in my life when I didn't want to go on. That would be the empathy because I know where the person's coming from that's on the phone. A hundred percent. That's exactly right. Um, I also wanted to provide a, a Chopra quote here for compassion. Um, so he goes on to say, um, at its Latin roots, compassion means to suffer with. And when you're compassionate, you're not running away from suffering, you're not feeling overwhelmed by suffering, and you're not pretending that the suffering doesn't exist. When you practice compassion, you can stay present with suffering. Showing compassion can help gain perspective or a new point of view because it puts you in someone else's shoes. It makes you put time and thought into alleviating someone's suffering. So all of these are really intertwined, aren't they? Um, but they do have some some nuances, some differences between. Well, if, if if I were to say that someone doesn't seem very compassionate, um, that wouldn't would necessarily that could be an assumption uh, because maybe they truly do care, but they're not outwardly showing it. Right. So they're perhaps not taking efforts to try to help alleviate the suffering of that situation. So um, sometimes it might also be that people are saying, oh, that person um, really isn't showing or exemplifying empathy. Um, so there's also what's called empathy fatigue. And that's where, you know, maybe somebody really does get it, really does feel for the other person, but um, they might be headed into that burnout territory. Um, and we can also delve into that one too. But um, when it comes to that lack of compassion, it might be that, for example, we, we hear these things on the news all the time, or people post their um, GoFundMe uh, requests, and it might be that we start to feel over time like there's so little that we can do, and we begin to start to pull away from the doing, the actions. So that would be that that person is appearing to be uh, lacking compassion although they might have very deep empathy. Let's, let's talk in terms of COVID. So for two years, we've been dealing with COVID uh, in different stages and in different ways. Some of us may have dealt with COVID personally. We may have had a family member. We may have had actually uh, somebody who died of COVID in our circle somewhere. So that empathy and sympathy become vitally important during this pandemic, don't they? And the compassion component. Right, right. Yeah, I think um, it's it's hard not to. And I think that we saw so much of that much earlier on in this experience. I think that we were watching in horror as we were seeing these news stories and everything that was happening. And very well, it might be that people have um, those direct experiences, either having experienced it themselves or having uh, potentially lost or come close to losing a family member. Um, and I, I definitely think that that probably increases somebody's sense of, 
uh, empathy, certainly. But the sympathy part of it is um, a lot of people, I mean, most people, I would say, in fact, um, they don't want to see others suffer. Um, however, it also can be a little bit difficult because a lot of life can feel like suffering. <laughs> well, what comes to mind is the homeless people, and I can take homeless people in Reno as an example when you're getting off the freeway and someone is standing on the corner and uh, and they're asking for money um, and the ability to keep on driving in the face of something that to me is so horrific. Is that a lack of empathy or sympathy or is it just that there's so many homeless people and we just don't know quite what to do? Um, I would definitely go towards uh, that it's it's probably a combination of those. I think that, you know, it depends on the person um, and what their, their own reasons are. Um, but I, I would say that every time I get off at Wells, uh, there's a different person there. And um, I definitely see like kind of a rotation or I might see some familiar faces, but um, it, it definitely tugs at the heartstrings every single time. And um, I also think that there's um, a fear of enabling. So there might be an association with like, you know, maybe it's just going to go towards drugs or alcohol, but that's really none of our business, what they put their money toward. It's your business, whether or not you decide to give it and hope that it goes towards something that's going to be toward their, towards their best well-being. Um, but at the same time, I think that there's, there's points where we feel as if we can't do enough. And that as much as we want to try and do all the things, um, it perhaps feels like this um, avalanche of uh, hopelessness that can set in after a time just because there's so much need in the world. Um, and there's only so much that we as a single person uh, can do. I think um, you just hit it on the head for me, Noran, um, that that's how I feel a lot of the time. I consider myself an extremely compassionate person, capable certainly of empathy and sympathy, or I wouldn't have um, started access to healthcare and kept it going all of this time. But there's just too much. I think COVID sort of put us over the edge in the sense of there were so many things in this world to feel empathy and compassion for and sympathy and and there's just no room left. Is that is that what we're talking about? That kind of compassion fatigue, where there's no room for one more thing, like the, uh, you know, the people coming out of Afghanistan, the people at the border, and we have homeless people, and now and COVID, and certainly we have COVID. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot, isn't it? It's, um, it and, and the other thing with COVID is that it's really brought to the surface so many of these issues that were there anyway. It just exacerbated them in some cases tenfold, depending on the issue, fiftyfold. You know, it's it's domestic violence, homelessness, um, unemployment, uh, all of these issues that were issues anyway are now really um, all the more wearing its ugly head. There's a, another quote that I wanted to share, and it's um, from the book When Helping Hurts by F. Oshberg. He's a medical doctor, MD. Um, so he describes it as, first, you should understand that it's a process, and he's referring to compassion fatigue. 
It's not a matter of one day you're living your life with a great deal of energy and enjoyment and the next you wake up exhausted and devoid of any energy, both physical and emotional. Compassion fatigue develops over time, taking weeks, sometimes years to surface. Basically, it's a low-level, chronic clouding of caring and concern for others in your life, whether you work in or outside the home. Over time, your ability to feel and care for others becomes eroded through overuse of your skills of compassion. You also might experience an emotional blunting, whereby you react to situations differently than one would normally expect. And to me, that is reaction. You know, I think that we want, again, to your point, we, we want to, to help everyone that we possibly can. And I think that that's where it becomes really important to, um, to prioritize where you're going to try to put your help and how it feels like it's going to be the most effective use of energy. Um, because there's no shortage of need, as we've just discussed. There's so many different components, but I think that's also where community care becomes all the more important. It's all of these many different organizations that have these different specialties working together in cohesion, ideally. Well, the articles that I read on, on compassion fatigue primarily focused on healthcare providers right now. Mm-hmm. And we certainly are hearing that more and more are having uh, what one might label compassion fatigue. They're just overwhelmed. There's just too many people to take care of. But that also brings us into the, I suppose, controversial topic of vaccines. And lately, healthcare providers have been coming out saying how, how they have compassion fatigue taking care of people who they feel uh wouldn't have ended up in the situation they've ended up in, in ICU, on a vent, et cetera, or dying if they'd taken the vaccine. And they're having trouble, um, I'm paraphrasing, maintaining their compassion, uh, and it's turning into a great deal of fatigue for them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've definitely heard that amongst uh, clients and uh, friends of mine alike. Um who are in that field. So I, I spoke with a friend who is a doctor and she described that she has this sense of moral injury, meaning that she now isn't able to provide the care to people that she would normally strive to give an offer. And that's not just purely compassion fatigue, that's also, you know, um, cuts, budget cuts and, um, you know, a difficulty with having enough of the um the oh what is it called um equipment yeah yeah that's what i'm trying to say yeah exactly yeah protective equipment so um when when it comes to being able to to offer to people um the care it, it it's it goes beyond that compassion fatigue there but in addition now those icu beds are getting taken by those who are arguing that covid is a hoax all the way up until the point of going on a ventilator and she has had these moments of finally seeing the realization in their eyes as they're being asked to say their final words to their families and loved ones via a monitor and um you know regarding the the vaccine i am going to walk up my mind here as i often strive to do i my my personal opinion on it is i think people are scared you know in so many different ways people are scared 
scared. Um, I do think that getting a vaccine is an intimate choice, and what one decides to do medically, um, definitely consent is incredibly important. With these mandates, I do think that there has been an effect of getting some people to, to relent, but some are really digging in their heels all the more deeply. But to the medical professionals who are on the front lines and treating those individuals who come in, they have expressed that they do feel less compassion. They do feel less desire to help because it is so hard to help those who appear unwilling to help themselves. And that's perhaps how they view the not getting vaccinated is, you know, you had this opportunity. You didn't have to be here. And now I have to do everything in my ability to save you. Um, but then, you know, there's people who are getting into car wrecks or having heart attacks and they're not getting to uh, be seen or they're not getting the ICU beds because they're being taken up. And it's just it's it's really um, such a this vicious uh, circle here with all of it that it just wears on them. You know, they, they don't want to have this moral injury of, of feeling that compassion fatigue, but they do. Um, it's not necessarily a choice per se internally. They just, that is how they feel in um, many cases. That's a great deal of internal conflict for someone. I know that um, that there's a great deal of internal conflict for me uh, on compassion fatigue and some of the issues of people not getting vaccinated. A lot of internal conflict for me. I can't even imagine if I was a, a bedside caregiver. I am in the healthcare industry, but a bedside caregiver, and I'm wondering where that line is to where that bedside caregiver who's responsible for uh, the health care of that person moves into a PTSD-type situation for them. Yeah, yeah. So um, PTSD, again, being where somebody has been exposed to some major trauma or, um, you know, the death of another um, so in this case, I think that there's also um, like the secondary traumatization that that's playing um, a, a really big role for uh, first responders and medical professionals. Um, they do often witness these types of situations. Um, but with that said, I think that it um, again, it's it's very wearing, and there's there's a point in time where it feels like it's that uphill battle. I have another quote here from C. Figley from uh, 1995. In fact, we have not been directly exposed to the trauma scene, but we hear the story told with such intensity, or we hear similar stories so often, or we have the gift and curse of extreme empathy, and we suffer. We feel the feelings of our clients. We experience their fears. We dream their dreams. Eventually, we, we lose a certain spark of optimism, humor, and hope. We tire. We aren't sick, but we aren't ourselves. And I will um, put the caveat here that, of course, you know, with um, the first responders and the medical professionals, they are witnessing these trauma scenes. So it very well might be more so PTSD for them. Um, and that's probably a differentiation with, like, the, the general public is that it's probably more so secondary traumatization for, for many of the others who are feeling this compassion fatigue. Um, but the, the end there that loss of optimism, humor, and hope, um, that becoming very tired, feeling sick, but not, or not entirely sick, but not entirely ourselves. 
I, I think that that um, comes in in a really huge way. And if it goes into the ballpark of PTSD, it might be that people start having nightmares. It might be that they begin to have a derealization or dissociation, um, and it could have some major, major impacts to their level of functionality. Well, and I want I want us to talk a little bit about, and I don't know if I'm using the correct word, Noran, but normalcy. It seems to me with everything going on in the world, uh, including COVID, and how COVID became so personal for all of us, wouldn't a sense of sort of numbness, wouldn't that be like normal, sort of a self-protection mechanism when we just can't take it all in? Yeah, yeah, I would definitely say that the the body, the the brain it has certain coping mechanisms. Um and numbness, the checking out can definitely be an example of that. Dissociation is a term where again it's it's highly correlated with PTSD. Um but it it might not be to the to that extent. It can be that somebody experiences dissociation without that. Um but dissociation is almost like that um, they're off in, in their own world. They're they're looking out. You know, you're talking to them. They might even be somewhat responding, but they're they're not actually really fully present. Um, and then you say, did did you hear what I said? Oh, what? I I I guess I I zoned out there. That would be an example of somebody who is dissociating. Um, so you know, an example as well. That might be where Netflix and chill comes in, or the dark humor. Um, where we're finding these ways to be able to self-protect and to try to um, create some compartmentalization. Um, But also we might see that people start having anger. You know, it might be lashing out perhaps in a grocery store line um, in traffic. That's a real common one. Um, Or in comment sections on Reddit, Twitter, or Facebook. Um, But it might also be numbing out through self-medicating. There, there are a lot of different ways that people might just want to check out. Well, let's, let's talk about if we're looking at ourselves or somebody, a loved one. What are we looking for in ourselves to say, oh, wait a minute, I think uh, something's going on here and I may need a little bit of help uh, with my compassion fatigue or my empathy fatigue. What would I be looking for in some of my behavior? So um, there's there's a couple things that I want to put out here. Um, I think that uh, many of us have or are experiencing some level of burnout, um, and there's definitely some commonalities between burnout and uh, compassion fatigue. So the stages of burnout have, have been identified as enthusiasm, stagnation, frustration, apathy. Um, And some of the commonalities with compassion fatigue include that emotional exhaustion, that reduced sense of personal accomplishment or meaning in their work, mental exhaustion, decreased interactions with others, so you might find that you're isolating more, Um, depersonalization, which um, is where somebody uh, doesn't necessarily feel like they're they're fully themselves. so symptoms are disconnected from the real causes, um, and then physical exhaustion. So let me then go into the symptoms of compassion fatigue specifically, and that's where I would have people try to differentiate for themselves what, what really resonates um, between each one of these. So the symptoms of compassion fatigue 
Um, it affects many dimensions of your well-being. Um, there's nervous system arousal, so that would include like sleep disturbances. Um, it's hard for you to self-regulate. It's hard for you to fully shut down, if you will. Um, emotional intensity increases, so little things become much bigger things. Uh, cognitive ability decreases. So that's where, um, for example, we start making uh, behavior and judgment uh, mistakes. And so we're, we're showing some impairment as far as um, we're, we're just doing things that we wouldn't normally do, making mistakes that we wouldn't normally make. Um, and they can be pretty serious depending on the situation. Um, so there might also be, again, that isolation and the loss of morale, uh, depression and PTSD might definitely be in this equation. Um, the loss of self-worth and emotional modulation. Um, and again, that's kind of in the same ballpark of like self-regulation, the ability to self-soothe. Um, identity, worldview, and spirituality can really be impacted. So this can be like uh, what I was describing before, that moral injury, um, that sense of uh, worldviews and um, uh, one's values really being infringed on. Um, beliefs and psychological needs, so that could include safety, trust, esteem, intimacy, and control. Um, all of these are really um, now up in the air for that person. Uh, they might be um, risking their safety. Um, again, that comes into that judgment uh, and being impaired. Um, it could be that that person has started using substances, but to an extent of where like they're now risking a DUI. Um, there could be that loss of hope and meaning. So there's a really intense existential despair that can set in. Um, and then again, also anger towards perpetrators or causal events. So that's part of, to your question about like the vaccinated versus unvaccinated and the compassion fatigue in some of the hospitals is there could be this sense of like being angry at their patients almost because it's like, you don't have to be here. Why, why is this happening? Um, and uh, so on and well, so forth. That's some very intense symptoms. The, the second category ones that you went through, the first category of ones, these sort of apathy and the um, numbness and fatigue, I think we've all experienced that off and on in the last couple of years. It, you know, the exhaustion with it all, a little bit the numbness, the apathy that we come to with it, um, that seems like those could be a little more normal to experience those over the last couple of years, uh, but maybe is it about if it continues for you uh, for a length of time, then it becomes more serious? Yeah, I would say that's a huge part of it. And I would say this is on a spectrum. And in um, so again, I've, I've mentioned it before, but it's called the DSM. And that's where um, there are diagnoses, and there's often a list of criteria to be met. But more often than not, there's like um, you have to meet a certain number of these criteria, but not necessarily the entirety of the list. Um, and that can also determine if it's mild, moderate, or severe. So I, I would also say um, if you don't meet all of them, that does not necessarily mean that you don't have it. It um, just kind of more determines your level of severity. 
Um, and certainly I would, I would say that burnout is probably the one that's more generalized and quote unquote normal. Uh, the compassion fatigue, I think, is when you do start getting into a little bit more of that serious ball game of um, really having the, that hopelessness and that inability to feel as if anything you're doing can help. I think I'm getting a, a much better picture now. I think that uh, probably now that you're talking, I've had uh, sort of moments of burnout. I'm just burnt out on too much happening in the world and then needing to deal with what's happening in your the reality of your life for today and uh, and the things that COVID has brought to our life today. So I think it's great to articulate both of those to our listening audience so that they get the difference between the two and that uh, there is a sort of, quote, normalcy to the burnout given that what we're all dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. And because compassion fatigue, I, I realized I'm losing some compassion for the unvaccinated I realize that about myself. And I think there's a lot of us vaccinated people that uh, that are worried about that because we just don't seem to have, do we care? Of course we care. But there's also this sense of sort of um, a numbness about it because there's nothing we can do about it. And yet the unvaccinated are impacting our lives daily of the vaccinated people. That, that's not just my feeling. I, I that's been expressed to me by a great many people. We're we're helpless around the unvaccinated, and yet we're they impact our lives so greatly. Yeah, yeah. I definitely think that when it when it comes to this decision, it's um, it's hard for for a lot of people, and certainly on both sides of the fence. I I um. I would say I still have compassion um, in terms of those individuals as far as when I say those individuals, I mean the unvaccinated, because I do think that there are some very legitimate questions. Um, and I do think, again, there are some very legitimate fears because, I mean, in general, people are a little bit nervous around vaccines. Um, but I, I would also say over you know, the last um, hundred years or more, um, it's really incredible to see the changes and the differences um, that that those vaccines have have offered to us. And I think it's interesting as well, where like when the polio vaccine came out, people just lined up. I mean, similar to to now, especially in the earlier parts of the vaccine rollout anyway, Um, but there perhaps wasn't as much hesitancy or um, as much um, fear around it, especially when people saw that they wouldn't have to be in that iron lung for their life um, or that their children wouldn't have to be. And um, again, I think that this might come to that sense of like the risk perception, but with that said as well, um, perhaps there wasn't as much of like a disinformation campaign at that point in time. Yeah, good point. Um, good point. yeah, I think that there's just such exposure to all sorts of information, including opinions. And um, again, we've watched the scientific method as it's just happened in real time. 
And more often than not, when we read a research paper, we see where they can come to the conclusion after all of these different um, ways and attempts were tried and maybe some failed, but it provided immense information in order to better perfect the, the mechanisms. And I think that that's probably also one of uh, people's fears around it is that they don't want to be part of that scientific method, but they are anyway. I mean, that's the truth of it is that they are still, they're still in, involved in that. They're just in a different, like uh, a different group. Maybe you could say a control group of sorts. Um, but I definitely think that um, when it when it comes to this decision, um, the truth of it again is that COVID is here to stay at this point. And um, I think that it's um, really hard as we're watching these numbers ramp up once more. And the doctor friend who I mentioned earlier, she was describing to me like we've reopened the the renowned garage. Um, and that people are are really begin, becoming extremely nervous that oh my gosh we're we're hitting a hard surge and we're not quite so sure how we're going to do this time especially because of this compassion fatigue and again layoffs have been um, hurting uh, the the um, medical community. Well. Um... So we've gone over some of the signs and symptoms, and I'm glad we talked about burnout versus compassion fatigue, and I've now uh, put myself into more of the burnout. I'm burnt out on COVID, as I think is the majority of the world, and yet uh, it's still here, <laughs> and there's not a whole lot that we can do about it um, at the moment. But let's talk about when we think that we need some help or when we think that a loved one needs some help. Can we give some real concrete, um, some concrete thoughts to that so that people yeah. can um, sort of figure out when a family member needs some help or if they need some help? Absolutely. Um, yeah, so I, I want to give some tips for managing this compassion fatigue. Um, and certainly these are things that can then also be applied to if you're aware of a loved one um, who's, who's uh, exhibiting some of these symptoms or behaviors. Um, so the do. Uh, I find someone to talk to. Um, it could be someone, you know, who's family or friend, um, but if it is more serious, then definitely reaching out, a out to a professional. And unfortunately, there are a lot of waiting lists at this time. However, with that said, you know, um, expressing a little bit of who you are, what you're going through um, can make a, a pretty big difference. And also, um, don't wait. You know, if you know that you're continuing to slide down this track, then um, the time is now to get yourself at the very least on a waiting list. Um, and uh, understand that the pain you feel is normal. You know, uh, perhaps the spectrum and everything that you're going through isn't necessarily normal, but the pain that you feel is. Exercise and eat properly as much as you are able to to do that really good self-care. That includes getting enough sleep if you're able to, but really it's like, Sleep deprivation is quite literally a torture technique, so do your utmost to try to get that sleep. Um, take some time off. Um, I think that there are some medical staff who are, um, they're, they're just, they're falling. And um, if that is what's occurring, then it might be like an FMLA type of leave. 
And I I understand that there are a lot of people that don't want to take that break, but it's also potentially where you're kind of rotating to some degree. But in order to continue doing, you've got to allow your system to reset at least to some extent. So take some time. Uh, Develop interests outside of medicine, um, if if that's uh, the the area that you're in, but develop interests outside of perhaps some of the other frontline work or the, um, like, let's say it's a police officer or a firefighter. I think that they probably can also feel um, some some resonance with this topic. Um, And identify what's important to you. Remember your why. So some of the don'ts, uh, that would include don't blame others. Um, I think that uh, taking accountability for one's own is really, really important as much as we are able to do uh, what's in our own control. Um, Don't look for a new job, buy a new car, get a divorce or have an affair. Um, Don't fall into the habit of complaining with your colleagues. Um, Don't hire a lawyer. Don't, well, depending on the situation, of course. Um, Don't work harder and longer. Um, don't self-medicate and don't neglect your own needs and interests. And um, the source on this is Landstall uh, Regional Medical Center. Um, I really appreciated this list, and I thought that um, you know there's there's some really really good tips here. But I want to go a little bit further here, and I want to say um, that one of the most critical places to attempt to maintain our love and compassion is with our loved ones and uh, for the parents out there with our children. You know, certainly with family members or friends who are on opposite sides of the fence here, so to speak, we've discussed previously how there have been those major ruptures in connection and the breaking apart of marriages even. Um, With our children, though, none of this is their fault, and they are caught in the crossfire, and people want to pass on their values, their morals, their perspectives. I totally get that. Um, I I hear people say all the time, I would die for my kids, and I get that too. Um, But more deeply, why not live for your kids? Actually live. Make choices to take care of yourself. Stop self-medicating. Stop self-harming in whatever variety of ways that one might be attempting to cope with these life strains. So instead of dying for our children, let us live for them. As, it, as they say on airplanes, you have to put on your own mask first because we cannot be there for our littles if we are not here for ourselves. Um, and I think that it's never been uh, truer than now. So put on your mask. <laughs> Take care of yourself. We need you. They need you. And please don't give up. Excellent words, Noran, to uh, end this podcast on. We've been talking about compassion fatigue but also uh, burnout, and that's, boy, that's what I got from this uh, podcast session is that I've had moments of great burnout, um, and I'm a very caring and compassionate person, and I like to think that I will continue to be that way, as I think will most people. Our guest today has been Noranne Brooklocker. She's a local marriage and family therapist with Sierra Sunrise Wellness. Thank you, Noranne, as always, um, for your great words. Thank you, as always, for having me, Sherry. It truly is an honor. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, We appreciate your support of our podcast. And if you'd like to listen to other podcasts, go to accesstohealthcare.org slash podcast. And please be kind to each other. And you know I'm pro-vaccine. And if you can, get your vaccine. 